But just as the musicians leave the stage, won't you open your Bibles at Luke 23? Have that in front of you. We're going to be thinking about Jesus, Jesus and the two men, the two men that he died with, um, as they were, as they were crucified together. Let's ask God's help. Let's talk to our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven, we ask that we would all leave this morning with a fresh understanding, a fresh, deep, deep joy of how good you are to us. Will you help us to enjoy your grace, to know the old, old story of Jesus and his love? It was, it was April um, this year when a question, a question was raised in my mind. It, it's actually, it troubled me quite a lot, actually, more than I expected. It was a bit, a bit of one of those, ooh, hang on. I heard the news uh, about a Northern Ireland journalist, Lyra McKee, who was shot dead while observing a riot in Derry. Now, I, I grew up in the 80s and 90s um, during some of the worst troubles. Um, I was born in the 70s during some of the worst troubles uh, between the, the different factions in Northern Ireland. So hearing people being shot was sadly commonplace, really. Then I heard a few days later that the priest at her funeral got a standing ovation when he said this line. Why, in God's name, does it take the death of a 29-year-old woman with her whole life in front of her to get to this point? He was making a valid point, actually. It took her death for the different political parties in Northern Ireland to actually meet and face each other. They hadn't been face-to-face together for months and months. He was making an absolutely valid point, but that is not what shook me. What shook me is the bit that was underlined. This sentence got me thinking about something else. It got me thinking about life and death. Why in God's name does it take the death of a 29-year-old woman with her whole life in front of her, he said. He said, a 29-year-old woman with her whole life in front of her. And that really troubled me. What about when you're 39? What, what, what about when you're a 49-year-old man? I'm not, I'm not quite. I'm working on it. No, there's someone who is. When, when do you not have your whole life in front of you? Is 55 the cutoff? Or is 65 the new 55? And then, and then what dawned on me is glaringly obvious, and I hope it is to you, that our culture, our culture thinks that this life is the whole of life. We think that this life, what we have now, what we experience growing up from five to 95, is life. 
We think that's it. So if you're at the early stages in life, you have your whole life, you have your whole life ahead of you. They say that in assemblies at school. You have your whole life ahead of you. Don't waste it. Because what we experience in this life is all we have. If that is true, it is devastating to cut a young life off early, isn't it? It is a terrible, terrible thing. 29, doing her job, shot dead. She had her whole life ahead of her. It is to this world that thinks that this life is all there is, it is to this world that thinks that this life is all there is, that Luke tells us a story about the person Jesus. And he wants to get across to us a whole other reality. A whole other reality. He tells us at the beginning of his book that he has carefully investigated everything he can to produce an account about this person, Jesus, who came into our world, our realm. This person, Jesus, to, 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 uh, to get, um, he gave... He carefully investigated everything about Jesus' life and death and resurrection so that we can be sure of what he's saying. You can read that in verses 1 to 4 of chapter 1 of Luke. And here it is, right in the midst of three lives, three lives being cut off early, that we find Jesus making this promise to a very nearly dead man. I tell you the truth... I tell you the truth. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Do you know, it means, as I am hope to show you, that you have your whole life ahead of you. Just look at the person who Jesus says that to. Just look at the people that he's talking to at the time. He's talking to a criminal, a criminal, that's quite important that bit. He's talking to a criminal who had realized right at the end of his life that there was something more. He's talking to a criminal who'd realized right at the end of his life that there's something more. There are two criminals either side of Jesus who couldn't be more distinct in the way they react to their crucifixion and to Jesus. The first is joining in with everyone else, mocking and hating Jesus. He says this. He says to Jesus in his anger and in his anguish, aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. Now, it's quite important to know something about a, a title that he's just called Jesus. He calls him the Christ. Christ is a title, and it's a massively important Bible idea. It's the title of the king that God was to choose to rescue his people and to begin a whole new kingdom. A king with a kingdom. A kingdom is a group of people that are ruled. And that kingdom is a realm in which every aspect of the people, their thoughts, their emotions, their ideas, 
their plans, their hopes, and their joys. Every aspect of the people, everything about them, is under the rule and authority of the king. And because it's under the rule and authority of the greatest, most pure and wonderful king that there ever is, the Lord Jesus, it is ultimately the most pure, the most peaceful, the most happy, and the most joyful and secure kingdom there will ever be. And here is this angry, criminal, screaming at Jesus in his agony, if you're the Christ, save yourself and us. If you're the king who can bring in this wonderful new realm, if you're apparently the chosen one, then get on with it. It's shocking mocking, isn't it? Jesus has dem- Luke has demonstrated all the way through his book that Jesus is exactly that king. That's the whole point of the book. He's fed 5,000 people to show that he was God provider. He's raised the dead. He's turned a storm around. He's vanquished evil. But this criminal, in his anguish, spills out in mocking Jesus. He, like the rulers, the crowd, the Roman soldiers, don't believe that any king of any kingdom should waste their talents in this way. Let alone God's almighty king, who is supposed to come and bring this fabulous new kingdom... You know, in every action film I know, every action film I know, the great hero might get beaten up, might get very close to death, but what does he do? He always bounces back. Doesn't he? He always bounces back. And he beats up the bad guy just in time. What kind of useless king allows himself to be taken to his death like this? Aren't you the Christ? Aren't you supposed to be someone who can rescue us? Then save yourself, he mocks. But they can all shout all they want because Jesus is not interested in saving himself. He's very interested in the other criminal. The second criminal has something else in view. The end of his life has brought him to a point when perhaps he's remembering some things from his Sunday school or or whatever he went to. Maybe he's remembering his grandma. I don't know what. What brought him to this point? But in his anguish and in, in the horror of crucifixion, which really was a horror, in that he has something else in view. He tells the first criminal off. Don't you, verse 40, don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. He he realizes what he's like. He knows what he's like. He knows what he's done. He sees a difference between him and Jesus. He's crying out to the other man. Don't you fear God? Perhaps he remembered Psalm 10 verse 14. There are many like it. Perhaps you remember this, but you, God, listen, but you, God, see the trouble of the afflicted. You consider their grief and take it in hand. The victims commit themselves to you, as Jesus will very shortly. You are the helper of the fatherless. 
He is warning the other thief who is joining in with the taunts of this innocent man that that's a very, very bad idea. It's a very bad idea to pick on an innocent man. Because God, God is for the innocent. Don't you fear God? The Bible's pretty clear about what happens after we die. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, says this. Just as people are destined to die once, and after that, to face judgment. Don't you fear God? What will will that be like? To stand before the gaze of someone who knows everything. Could you stand? Maybe kneel. Could you kneel? What would it be like to stand before the one who, who knows your thoughts? When you're on your own. What would that be like? People are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. Are you, are you ready for that? Can you hear the warning of a criminal? He's got some wisdom here. There's wisdom here from a criminal. How do you feel about that? A criminal telling you a really good idea. Don't you fear God? There is good reason here to listen to this criminal. He got it. He understood that there was an accounting before God himself. And even he had the kindness in his heart to call out to and encourage the other criminal to make himself ready for that meeting. It's the first person you meet at Jesus' death. First person I want you to meet. The criminal who knew there was more to come. Do you fear God? Then there's the criminal who asked Jesus to remember him. Then he said, Jesus, verse 42, little number 42, remember me when you come into your kingdom. See what he understands? He understands that though he was at the end of his life, he actually had the whole of life ahead of him. And he does something staggering here at the end of his life. He expresses a trust in Jesus that is a total contrast to everybody else around the cross. He gets it that Jesus is the Christ, the promised one of God, that this death of this is voluntary and intentional to bring about God's promises. In his request, he looks beyond Jesus' death to see that this cannot be Jesus' end. 
He anticipates something about Jesus in the future. He even anticipates that Jesus is going to have a kingdom. He's anticipating that Jesus is going to rise from the dead. He anticipates that Jesus is going to bring this new kingdom. Remember what I said about that kingdom? It's the coming of a realm in which every aspect of God's people, those in the kingdom, those who follow the king, the thoughts, their emotions, their ideas, their plans, their hopes, their joys, everything will be under the rule of the king and done in a way that he approves. And because it's such a king and such a kingdom, it will ultimately be absolutely pure, peaceful, happy, secure, and full of joy. And here is a man who has lived the truly rebel's life, okay? All of it until this moment, okay? The truly rebel's life, and he is seeking forgiveness in his final breaths from Jesus, the king of that kingdom, My goodness, he's bold, isn't he? I mean, that is bold. Jesus has been through a show trial with his own Jewish leaders. They found some people to lie about him. Jesus has endured terrible injustice there. Jesus has been a political pawn between Pilate and Herod. The Jewish leaders and the crowd and the crowd have turned against Jesus and demanded that he was crucified. Jesus has been numbered and counted amongst criminals. He's been thought of by everybody around as a criminal. Jesus has been whipped and beaten so badly that he would have been close to death before being crucified, let alone hanging on a cross. Jesus is the only truly innocent man in the entire universe let alone in this scene of it. And he's hanging between two criminals. Jesus only has a few breaths left. Surely he's not going to allow this. A criminal who has lived the kind of life that would want to ruin, destroy, corrupt his kingdom is asking him, can I come in? Some of you might like building things. I like building things. My children like building things. We like making little models, don't we, or or the like. I like building Lego models and so on. I'm not a great fan, not a great fan, when, when someone comes in and smashes it up. Not a fan of that. Jesus is going to let a man like this in? Is he going to forgive him? You know, with that limited breath he has, what does Jesus say? He says yes. He says yes. I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. Do you know, the, the words I tell you the truth... Jesus doesn't use those lightly. You get those as a, as a, sort, of, a sort of emphasis, a sort of, you know, you've got to listen to this. Yeah? You get those at, just in front of really, really important things. If you ever hear Jesus say, I tell you the truth, it's supposed to make you stop and pay attention. 
Here's the man, he's dying. He says, please remember me when you come into your kingdom. I know you're the king. I know you're going to make this great kingdom. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth. You will be with, today you're going to be with me in paradise. Jesus really wants to assure this man that it's going to be fine. Jesus promised him more than he ever asked. The man's thinking about the future. The man's thinking about when the kingdom will come. Jesus says, don't, you don't need to wait. You don't need to wait. It's going to be today. It's going to be today. You'll be with me in paradise. Paradise to a Jew was something like this. Isaiah 51 verse 3. The Lord will surely comfort Zion. Isn't that a beautiful word? Comfort. And will look with compassion on all her ruins. This man was ruined. He will make her deserts like Eden. His life was pretty much a desert. Her wastelands like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her. Thanksgiving and the joy of singing. Come and be with me today in paradise. So what this is saying is that a man or woman can go through their whole lives in hatred of God, treating people cruelly, causing damage with their words and actions, and then, right at the end, appeal to Jesus Christ, and he will let them into their perfect, his perfect kingdom. That's what it's saying. Someone who wastes the life that God has given them and right at the end of their lives, with their final breaths, can be forgiven and enjoy the glories of Jesus' kingdom. Yep. It can be someone who never goes to church, rarely has a kind word to say, greedily abuses our planet with tons and tons of plastic in the sea, and with final moments asks for forgiveness, and Jesus will forgive them. And say, today, you'd be with me in my new kingdom. No one, no one is too bad for this kingdom. Please hear that sentence again. It's the most important sentence that I think I've ever learned. No one is too bad for this kingdom. It's never too late, ever, while you have breath. So while I have life in my body, I have a chance to cry out to God and be forgiven. While I have breath, I can call on Jesus. So I've got a question. How does that sit with you? How, how does that sit with you? I, it, it's the, to a Christian, we, we love this. We've been singing songs about it this morning. God is so good. But some of, what, some of us probably don't like it very much at all. Probably resent this kind of kindness. You know, we think, it's because, it's because we think we're all right. It's because, you know, the trouble is really with people around us. It's not really with us. 
It's really with how people have treated us. It's not really with us. It's a, it's a terrible victim culture that we, we slip into. It wasn't my fault. It was the other guy who cut me up. We've not done anything really bad. I mean, you couldn't call me a criminal. I don't have a record. You've not done anything really bad. You know, I've done a pretty good life. I've done the school run. You know, might have resented it some nights, but I've done the school run. I worked hard for my company. It's the kind of person who knows their rights. Comes out in all sorts of ways. They'll go to a restaurant and they'll get a, get a meal in front of them and they, you know, they're the person who complains. You know, that waiter, they didn't cook it. They've been working for hours and hours, but they're going to get your voice because you know your rights. You know that life, you know, should be fair. Should be fair. You don't like things to be unfair. But here you have before you some news that someone who has used the gifts that they have been given, not to bring up a family or contribute to society, but to cause pain, to steal, to murder, to lie to people like you. And he receives paradise. How does that sit with you? Right at the last, someone like that a Christian would say, someone like me. That's what a Christian would say. They'd hold their head in shame. And they'd say, yep, someone like me. They wouldn't say someone like that. He's welcomed by Jesus into paradise. How does it sit with you? Some of us love this kindness, don't you? You know your heart. Or perhaps your heart is coming clear as we've read this this morning. I hope it is. Perhaps you're beginning to know your heart. You know something of the impact of your life on others. You know that really when it comes to God and that final day when you are before him, there's no way you're standing. (laughs) Uh, You'll be on the floor in the dust. You know that. And all you've got, all you've got is the cry of this man. Jesus, remember me. When you come into your kingdom, please. It's a cry of mercy. It's a call on his mercy. It's a trust in his kindness. It's a hope in God and in him alone. The king dying in your place and willing to say yes to your request. To welcome you today into paradise. Criminal. Whatever. Why don't you ask him? Why wouldn't you ask him? What could possibly stop you asking this king to forgive you for your lies, for your false hopes, for all the things that you trust in instead of God? What could possibly stop you this morning? He is that generous. He is that good. And his death is enough for everyone. There is no one too bad for this kingdom. So please, please don't listen to the cultural nonsense 
that only young people have their lives ahead of them. You know, you could be 2, you could be 12, you could be 29, you could be 39, 49 or 99, and you have, you have your whole life, your whole eternity ahead of you. It is right there for you to enjoy. Learn this morning that this criminal, this life is not the whole. It is is only a very small part, and it's designed to be the start. And the whole key to your whole life is not your diet or your exercise. It is your relationship with the king. That's what he got. It's your relationship with Jesus. The king who died to make it possible for anyone and everyone to call on him even with their last gasp, and ask him to remember them. And he will. He will. Let's pray. (coughs) Almighty God, Thank you for the love and the grace of Jesus the King.